<coughs> Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for the gift that we have of first your word that you have seen fit to reveal yourself to us in the person and work of Christ. And we know that because you have revealed him to us um, through your word and have confirmed in our hearts that we are his by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for for that. And we pray that you would once again be with us um, and open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear what your word would say. And that we would be challenged and comforted by your mercy and um, inspired and driven to show and display that mercy to those around us because of the work that Christ has done in our hearts. We pray for all these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> we are continuing on in our journey through Numbers. Uh, specifically, we've been looking at the commands of God to the Hebrews that display the unique purpose for the tribe of, of Levi. And so what we're looking at today is going to further expound on the idea of redemption of the firstborn. It's, it's a theme that we took up a couple of weeks ago when we were here earlier in chapter 3. And so remember the backdrop of all of this. They were, at, uh, they were, they were brought out of Egypt in Exodus, in the Exodus. Uh, they were brought to the mountain of God. The Ten Commandments were given. The law was given, so all of Leviticus kind of takes place in that month period that they're at the foot of the mountain. And here at the beginning of Numbers, they start at the foot of the mountain, they're gradually moving away, they're going toward the promised land. And in that time, God is speaking to Moses um, and telling him things to do. And this first ten chapters of Numbers, it's very clear. God commands, Moses obeys, there's no question, everything looks great. You have this community of faith and obedience to the God who is their king, who is their deliverer, and everybody's happy. Um, and here we have another instance of that. The backdrop of this section is when God pulls people out, pulls the Israelites out of Egypt, he does it by means of what? What happens? What's the last thing that happened in Egypt before they left? Do you remember? Death of the firstborn. Death of the firstborn. Why? Why did that happen? What's the what was the deal there? Why would God do such a thing? Take away their blessing? Question mark? Question mark, maybe. <laughs> I will ask the questions here. No. The, maybe. There's some of that. The firstborn we talked about. That was the knock knock. Uh, who's there? KGB. I will ask the question. Okay, anyway. Um, so yes, there was blessing because the firstborn represents the hope of the future. The, the, the industry that they have to build their economy is, is usually uh, all, all the inheritance rights, a third of the inheritance rights go to the firstborn, or two-thirds, I guess. And so you've got this, this whole idea of promise and hope and future and all of this in the firstborn that's taken away from Egypt. Why? Uh, wasn't it like the king or something that did something wrong? Pharaoh did a little something wrong. What was it? Didn't obey God. Okay. Who is this Lord that I should serve him? Who is God? Who is Yahweh that I should serve him? That was a question he had. So it was a rebellion against God, setting himself up as God, which we all do. And then what else? Keeping hundreds of thousands of Jewish slaves. Keeping hundreds of thousands of Jewish slaves. It was with two million, I think, what we said the estimates were when they come out. So it's kind of a, kind of a human rights violation there in, the, in, in, in antiquity. Yeah, what else? Oh, 
Yeah, I mean, he, he got what I was going to say. Oh, that's but always uh, a bummer. Also, uh, is it, they take his son, right? It is like only son. The, the Pharaoh's yeah. firstborn yeah. also yeah. dies. And he was going to inherit. He was also supposed to be a god in their culture. Mm-hmm. And they, he is taken. They're, he's taken. Egypt is punished, number one, because they're sinners against the holy God. Right? I mean, when it gets down to it, Egypt is punished, and Israel should have been punished too. We're at the core sinners against the holiness of God. We violate God's worth by not reflecting Him as we were created to do. We want to be God. Did God truly say, well, maybe He did, maybe He didn't. I'm going to do what I want to do. So Eve eats the apple, and Adam follows suit, because that always works out well. We're sinners against the holy God. And so God, in His justice, punishes Egypt. And if you think about it, it was actually kind of a merciful punishment. He only took one from each family. He should have wiped them all out. He should have wiped Adam and Eve out. Israel is no different than Egypt. They're still sinners. And yet, what happened with them? They were spared. They, they were spared. Why? They put the blood over the door. The sacrifice. They They were passed over. They obeyed. They were spared because they put blood over the God made a provision for them. Right? Sacrifice the lamb. Put the blood over the doorpost. Because you know the Old Testament is not related at all to the New Testament, but basically it's the form of sort of a thing. So you have this sacrifice that's made. Instead of the firstborn of each house, there is a sacrifice that is made to spare what was rightfully, what would have been the fair judgment of God, right? He would be absolutely just to take Israel's firstborn like he took Egypt's firstborn. But he didn't. He provided mercy to them. He gave, at his, at his initiative, he provided mercy. Moses didn't pull God aside and say, hey, can we work out a deal here? There was none of that. God provided the mercy. Well, in response to that, as because of that, right after the instruction, and this was supposed to be a, a celebration that they had every year, the Passover meal, the Passover meal, you've heard of Seder ceremonies, all that. Because of that, right after giving the instructions on the Passover that, that, that they're to do every year, In Exodus 13, 1 and 2, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Why can he do that? Because everything's his. Okay, why? Because he made it. Because he's creator. So the first issue is God made it, it's his stuff, they're his creatures. Why else can he say that? Why can he say to Israel, consecrate to me the firstborn? By by what other means? He spared their firstborn. He spared the firstborn. What do we call that? Mercy. Mercy. Well, yes, mercy is a good (laughs) word. I don't know what you're looking for. There's a word. Um, It's okay. His mercy is right. Uh, The Passover involved mercy. There's a trade, right? The lamb for you. See, Jenny knows the routine here. He asks questions, nobody gets the answer, and finally he just answers it. That's the way this works. So um, he, he traded a lamb for the firstborn. A sacrifice. a sacrifice. 
There's a substitution that's there, right? So what is he doing here? He's saying, he's making the claim, I spared all the firstborn, they're all mine, I've bought them, I've redeemed them, this is the language he uses, so consecrate them all to me. And this, God had destroyed all the firstborn of Egypt, man and beast, now he redeems Israel's firstborn, they all belong to him. Well, that sounds great, but how does that work functionally? We're in service to this God King now. He owns all of our hopes and futures and dreams and means of production for the nation. How does that work functionally? What does God do? Um, look at verse 40 in chapter 3. And the Lord said to Moses, List all the firstborn males of the people of Israel from a month old and upward, taking the number of their names. And you shall take the Levites for me. I am the Lord. Instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel and the cattle of the Levites, instead of all the firstborn among the cattle of the people of Israel. So Moses listed all the firstborn among the people of Israel as the Lord commanded him, and all the firstborn males according to the number of names from a month old and upward as listed were 22,273. And all the firstborn males according to the number of names from a month old and upward as listed were 22,273. I think that's all of the firstborn males they counted of the nation. Okay, so you have consecrate to me all the firstborn. They number 22,273. Right? So that's where we are. We have a body of people a subset of the nation who is being consecrated to, because my kids are in this whole math thing. We're just in the subsets. So <laughs> 22,273 are, are all the firstborn males of the nation. What's being conveyed here by God? He says, he says first, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which means what? Yahweh. Yahweh. And because no English translation just says Yahweh. They always say Lord. But that's what it is. Said to Moses. What's significant about Yahweh said to Moses? Again, we see this. It's a, it's a repeating thing. Why, is, how, why are they using, the, why don't they just say the king said? The covenant name of God. The covenant name of God. He's, of the covenant that he made. It's, it's, a, it's based on the, on the, on the, um, on the basis of the covenant that he gave them at Sinai, he is talking to them as their... It's a treaty between an overlord and a people. It's an ancient kind of thing. And, um, and so he's talking to them on the basis of the covenant. And again, he says, uh, later on in verses uh, 41 and 45, he says, I am the Lord. He kind of breaks in there like they've got dashes in your English translation. Like this is, you know, kind of a, interrupting the flow of the thought. I am the Lord. Why would he say that? Why, what, what, is the, what is the foundation for the command he's giving here to take yet another census? We're just in chapter 3. We've already had four census I? Censuses? I don't know how you say that. Censuses. <laughs> so, so we've got, why is he saying, I am the Lord? What, what's the point? of <coughs> What kind of authority? Based on who he is. The divine right to say, do this. You've I want you to consecrate all the firstborn to me, and this is how we're going to do it. Um, 
Who's the target of this of this next census? Who who's he who's he have in view? What's the subset? All the firstborn. All, the firstborn. all if you're if you're from deep south uh, Texas, you say firstborn. Anyway, um, all, all the firstborn. Uh, what is there an age bracket? You know, the military census we had twenty years up. This is a month up. What? Why? The whole month older is ready for battle. No, it's a different census entirely. One month and older. Um, I don't want to make too much of this, but it really uh, kind of piqued my curiosity here that it was by names and not merely by number. He said, register them, number them by name. So if there's one kid or two kids with the same name, would they be about Well, it would be like, um, like in, the, in, the, in the U.S. Open, they've got S. Williams and V. Williams. So I, I'm sure they would de delineate, you know, the difference in, you know, Joseph and Joseph number two. I don't know what you did. <laughs> what is that <clears throat> What is conveyed by name versus just your um, Israeli social security number? Why, why, why by name? What does that say? They're individuals. And what was the answer, Scarlett? I just said that it's more personal. It's more personal. Rather than just a, a, a body of corporate, a, a nation, you're, all, you're only useful to me as a body. There's, he individually names them, individually consecrates them, individually shows their worth. We're going to see here in a second. <coughs> it's a lot different than the way Pharaoh treated them. Right? These Hebrews are breeding like rabbits. We've got we to gotta, we gotta get rid of them. Take them all. God numbers them by name. He knows them by name. Why are there no males under the age of one month? Isn't that curious? I would assume that would be the age they would be circumcised. And they're circumcised after eight days. Eight days, yeah. They've been traveling from Egypt since then. So. Okay. There's got to be a stopping point. Some, you know, we gotta... what, what else could be going on here? There's some of that. Yeah, under Levitical law, we, we, we went through Leviticus painstakingly, verse by verse, and it was awesome. But that was part of it. There was a, there was a, a length of time that the mother couldn't participate, but that wouldn't keep the baby from being numbered, though, would it? Why do you think? What happened to babies most often in antiquity? They died. High mortality rate in infants. We live in paradise compared to the way generations before us lived. Just 100, 150 years ago, the mortality rate of children was so high. So the one month is, okay, they're probably not going to die at this point. It was, it was uh, a more stable number at one month than it was before. So there's that issue. Um, maybe. Maybe. What is the response by Moses to yet another Census. Think about this. Really, we got to count again. Enough with the counting. You know what? What, what is the response of Moses here? In verses, in verse, uh, where are we? 43, 40, 43. Yeah. What was the? What was the? Uh, what was the response? He did it. He did it again. 
obedience. And this again, first chapters, we're seeing the theme set up. God commands, Moses obeys. God commands, Moses and the people obey. After chapter 10, not so much. It's a theme of God commands, there's rebellion. God commands, so we're going to see that trickle down. But you see it here, they're, right now, they're fresh off of Sinai, they're fresh out of Egypt, and there's still, they're still this, we want to obey, we want to obey. Look at verse 44. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel, and the cattle of the Levites instead of their cattle. The Levites shall be mine, I am the Lord. And as the redemption price for the 273 of the firstborn people of Israel, over and above the number of the male Levites, you shall take five shekels per head. You shall take them according to the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of 20 geras, and give the money to Aaron and his sons as the redemption price for those who are over. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the people of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. So, this is our memory verse passage for the week. It is. <laughs> it is. Uh, we're going to stand up and recite it next week. Um, what's the status of the firstborn? Consecrate them all to me. What does that mean? What would be expected of those consecrated to God? To serve God. Not work in daddy's fields, increasing the wealth of the family. He would be serving in the sanctuary, right? But that's their status. Um, remember when Samuel uh, laid out the realities of appointing a human king over Israel? Remember what he told them? He said, the king will take your sons and your daughters and he'll make them work in his fields. He'll send them off to fight his battles. Right? Here we have, I mean, not only would you miss the family member there, but, but economically the family missed out on the support from the sons or the daughters. Here, instead of requiring all the firstborn sons from the entire nation, which he had every right to do, he had redeemed them from the judgment of Egypt. Instead of requiring them, God has determined to redeem again the firstborn. So he's owed it, and he redeems them again to another purpose. Um, what does that mean? We'll talk about redemption. He redeems them, we'll talk about this in a second, by a, a redemption price or a ransom. When we talk about redemption, what are we talking about? Springer in Game 5 of the World Series last year whiffed, I mean, just completely missed a, a catch in the outfield and cost the Astros a run. At the next at bat, first pitch in, he, he cranks one over the fence and they say, well, it looks like he redeemed himself from the... Is that what we mean by redemption? <laughs> no. What are we, when we talk about Old Testament redemption in these terms, what are we talking about? Bueller, Bueller. Buying it back. Something is owed. Something has been, say, um, at this time, if you're, well, I mean, you do it now. Uh, if you owe a debt, you give a piece of property in payment of the debt, 
but gosh, that was my grandfather's watch. Dad's going to kill me. You can buy it back, right? You can redeem it from the pawn shop. Uh, you, you, you're in debt to a landowner. I'll serve you for five years. Well, Uncle Charlie has some money and he redeems you after two, pays the landowner the debt that you owe and pulls you out of indentured servanthood. That's redemption. That's what they're talking about here. Israel was indebted to God for the deliverance of their firstborn. They were saved from death by God through means of the Passover, the lamb's blood on the doorposts and the lentils of their household when the angel of death passed over. So redemption, and I have the, the on your handout there, redemption is a form of monetary payment that is equal to the value of an object or a person that is given in order to transfer property from one party to another. So let's read that again because it's legal definition. It's always clear to everyone. Redemption is a form of monetary payment that is equal to the value of an object or a person that is given in order to transfer property from one party to another. Property that is given in payment of a debt could be redeemed by an agreed price. What a willing buyer would pay to a willing seller, right? Fair market value, baby. That's, all, that's how we roll around here. The, that fee or price is a substitute for the thing being redeemed. I'll take the money for the watch. That's a substitution. And we determine that that's the same value. So God directs that instead of the firstborn of the children of Israel, He'll take as redemption price the Levites, right? I'll take the whole tribe. You can keep your, kid, your, your firstborn of your animals. I'll take the whole tribe. The Levites are now redeemed to me, consecrated to me. And this releases the firstborn of Israel from the duty of service in the sanctuary. The Levites and all their possessions are redeemed to the Lord as the purchase price. The redemption price. So how many firstborn males did they count? 22273. That's to the number by name. How many Levites were counted as a substitute, apparently? 22,000. 22,000. Um, so here's the thing. What if you're one of the 273? <laughs> What's the cost of a life? Five shekels. <laughs> What's the cost of a life? A life. They were only redeemed up to the value of one Levite per firstborn. A life is worth a life. And yet you've got these 273. Before God's mercy comes down, can you kind of put yourself in their sandals and think, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? There's not enough lives for me. So what does he do? <laughs> that's very Solomon-esque of you, but no, I don't think that's what they did. He's gracious toward the excess, right? His mercy is excessive. And how does he do that? In his mercy, he accommodates a cultural valuation and sets the price in terms of money. Um, so he says, the common cost for 
um, a person, step back and, and put down your social justice warrior mentality here. Yes. And in this economy, in the history of the world, the buying and selling of people has been just rampant. It's always been there. We are in Disneyland. And even in other cultures around the world, it's still going on. It's just hushed. Um, what you see in Scripture is a um, movement away from that, a recognition of the value of the person, um, a, a push toward not having this. But in the process of that, he says, we'll look at the cultural valuation of slave price or, or indentured servant price, and we put the value of five shekels, five shekels, which is the common Babylonian, Macedonian, Mesopotamian, Egyptian prices on these things. And that will count instead of another life. So we're not sacrificing people. We're not, um, we're not um, uh, doing the other things that the pagans would do. But here is the price money. And you get two things out of this. One, you get mercy shown through the redemption of this payment, this purchase price. And the priest gets some operating money. So that's all good. It's hashtag winning, right? You get everybody comes out. It, this five shekels amounts to six months of wages for an average day laborer. So it's not cheap. But it's not, it's not what other cultures, what other pagan deities would require in a situation like that. God shows mercy there. Question? Sure. Why? So how did you get? How does the two hundred seventy-three fit in? Like, why did they only redeem twenty thousand? Um, apparently, the census of the Levites that was taken was tw was twenty-two thousand oh. Levites, and so if okay. you take the number of firstborn, twenty-two thousand turns. I got to do this because I do this with my kids with math. Two hundred twenty. Yeah. The way that the way that Microsoft Office worked on the abacus back then, was, they had 20, 20, 273 left over. So who paid the five shekels per person? Yeah, the family. So who who determined like who the two seventy three were? Yeah. We got there last. I'm sure they did it in alphabetical order. You know, A left to Zabet or something. Um, Anyway, I don't know. They, we're not given that, but I'm sure that there was a fair and just system. I'm sure they took it from the 1%. So, uh, anyway, so there's that. All right. First 49. Moving on. I am. 49. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the people of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons according to the word of the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. So what do you see here? What's the conclusion of this section demonstrate? What was the response of Moses to the command of God? Here, again. He it's absolute obedience. There's no derivation in what and what uh, and what God commanded and what Moses did, um, and that's the that's just the, the hallmark of the community here that we see in chapters one through ten. Um, afterwards, we'll see three cycles of rebellion, which becomes the central theme of Numbers uh, while they're wandering in the wilderness, and that including Moses. I mean, that also affects him. So, all right. Well, 
this has been an interesting excursion into a weird Jewish law that has absolutely nothing to do with the New Testament and where we are today. So thank you for coming. Appreciate you being here. God's claim on the firstborn and the firstborn of their cattle derives both, we talked about, in his position as creator and as redeemer and deliverer. Uh, Psalm 50 says he owns every beast of the forest, the cattle on a thousand hills. Um, however, the cattle are also symbolic of the possession of the Levites. So the, the saying that all the cattle of the Levites are mine is another way of saying all that you have is mine. You're a steward of the resources that I've given you, right? All that they are and all that they have is set apart to the service of Yahweh. When we talk about the atonement of Christ, when the New Testament authors talk about the atonement of Christ, what Jesus accomplished, because let's just be frank, Passover, it's a shadow of things to come, right? I mean, it's such a clear relation. Our, Peter even calls him our, our Passover lamb. So that, that is clearly a shadow of Christ to come, what's going on there. And part of the way the New Testament authors describe what Jesus has done through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross is, um, well, there, there, there are six things, really, but we're not going to go through all of those. There are six things that, that they, that they uh, point to um, that, that have happened because of the atonement of Christ. But for our purposes, we're going to focus on redemption for some unknown reason. Redemption. Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, he said, for, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He points to his own purpose of coming as being the redemption price. And we talked about in this passage, life for life, accommodation of the shekels, but life for life. Um, what's the worth of the life of Christ? <laughs> I mean, Paul says that, you know, it, it's, it's rare that even a righteous man would lay down his life for someone else. Certainly he wouldn't do it for an enemy. But Christ, even without sin, being innocent, shed his blood for rebels, for those who hated him. For those who are thirsting for his blood, chanting out, crucify him, he gave his life for his people. The death of Christ is the payment he offered to God to buy captives out of the slave market of sin. Hebrews 9.15 says, Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. He redeems them from their rebellion against God. Peter echoes this when he says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed, redeemed, from your, the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 
If we've been redeemed, we've been purchased. We've been purchased for the same purpose or similar. It's a shadow again. We're, a, pur- a purpose of what the Levites were, pur- were purchased for, right? They were the redemption price for doing what? Serving God in the temple. Serving Him in the sanctuary. And they did that throughout Israel's history. If the ransom has been paid for us by the blood of Christ, we have been set apart for a sacred service. And Peter says that we're to conduct ourselves with fear throughout the time of our exile. What is he talking about? What fear? What exile? I'm safe within the yet-to-be-walled boundaries of the United States of America. What, what, what exile? What is he talking about there? Bondage of sin. Okay. We're not redeemed yet. We're not, well, we're halfway redeemed. Halfway? He's, he's mostly redeemed, like mostly dead? <laughs> it's already not yet. We've been fully redeemed, but we haven't fully realized it, right? Is that the, is that the point he's saying? Already not yet? Is that what you're trying to get to? Yes. We're in exile here. We're in exile from what's fully coming. The future promise that we have of being completely made into the image of Christ. That's the goal. Every area of life is characterized by sacred worship, by sacred duty. He owns all our cattle. (laughs) We've been redeemed by... And notice that we don't get redeemed up to a certain number of people. That, that, That there's not 273 of the church left over that Christ then goes and pays some shekels for. Notice the <laughs> wrong worldview. Um, notice the excessive worth of the blood of Christ. Sufficient for all, efficient for those he's purchasing, right? So all of life is to be characterized by I'm set apart for service to God in the temple. All of life is temple work, all of the mundane is sacred. All of the stuff we do in secret, all of the stuff that we do on the tennis court when we're losing, all of that should be (laughs) displaying the beauty and grace and humility and glory of God. It should be an act of worship to God as stewards of a sacred duty. And that's the life of the believer. All of life is sacred. Everything is dedicated to Him. We've been redeemed. We've been set apart. But do we do that? (laughs) That's where the other parts of the atonement come in. (laughs) Because when we fail at that, and we do often, He forgives. His blood covers. We come to Him in obedience and trust in the finished work. When He said it is finished, it wasn't a throwaway phrase. We trust Him. Um, so that's redemption for today. I'm sure there's more, but you know there, it's 10:05, and what are you going to do? The clock. Any any questions? Any comments? Any fruit to be thrown? What, what you got? Anything on this? One thing with this passage was obedience. Instead of Moses saying, "God, how dare you put a price on a human life and be all offended," he just he just obeyed. And I mean. A picture of that was him being gracious because like in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, 
God said he would surely die. He didn't immediately kill them, but you know they did eventually die. But he, that was him being gracious towards them by not just immediately just cutting cutting them off. So the price of obedience, like we learned in Leviticus over the past couple of years, there's a lot that has to be done, you know, to obey God. But being part of God's people, being an Israelite, the reward for that is much higher than their simple obedience because they're rewarded with life, which you can't put a price on. And they're also rewarded with the presence of God being in their midst. Right. Right? I mean, the tabernacle idea. God says, you'll be my people. His his protection, his care, um, the promise to them was, uh, I'll make your crops grow. I'll bring uh, the honor, uh, the glory of other nations to your king. I mean, you talk about the Davidic covenant, some of that stuff. And there's a lot to having God be your king. It's a lot of benefit to that. Versus Pharaoh. Uh, they can gather their own straw. You know, There's a lot of value. There's a lot of promise. There's a lot of hope in the, um, the kingdom uh, uh, under God. So what else? In our obedience, I mean that that really drills down to a lot of things, doesn't it? I mean, we think about how. I mean, it affects what we wear. What are we projecting? It affects um, how we um, how we conduct our lives and how even um, not giving any kind of um, sense of reproach that could be taken against what we do and, and or any hint of. Of anything, I mean, there's a there's a, a high standard for the Christian. There was a high standard on. I mean, the, the standard is Jesus, so you know. But we can't do that. So, what do, what does that call us to do? Again, it causes causes us to be humble about who we are before Holy God and going again to the all sufficient work of Jesus and what He's done uh, for us. So, yes. The Christian life is characterized by a pretty high standard, but yes, the mercy of God is higher. And that's a beautiful thing. All right, so let's pray and let's um, and let's and let's go to the next service. Father, just thinking through uh, just the surface of the idea of redemption through Christ and, and what you've done for us in Him and, and the, the, um, the life you've called us to by um, redeeming us from the sin that we so easily uh, engaged in. Um, it, it is intimidating to think of the, the, the standard of Christ being our standard to live, um, that we're not to coast, that if we love Him, we will do as He commands, as Jesus said. Our obedience to Christ is a demonstration of our love and, and, and prizing of who He is. We fail so often to prize Him as we should. And so, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us of that and that your work in our hearts would drive us to the foot of the cross to again drink deeply from the fountain of mercy 
not that we um, are abandoned by you or, or uh, no longer your children when we sin, but that we would restore relationship with you, humble submission to your kingship, humble recognition that you are our Father and that we um, are your children and we need to reflect the family. And so we thank you for the high calling and we thank you for the mercy that you give us when we fail to live up to it. So we pray for, again, renewed um, love for Christ and renewed um, zeal to honor Him and love Him through our obedience. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. So did you watch the final?